Welcome to the X29 Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Metters. Well, welcome to another episode of the X29 Podcast, and it is such a joy and a privilege to have on the show today our Executive Director, Brian Howard. So, Brian, welcome to the show. Uh, Great to be here with you, Jeff. Thrilled to be on the podcast and thrilled to be part of X29. Amen. Uh, I love being part of our diverse family of church planting churches, where we're just seeing God's uh, glory spread all around the world. We're seeing churches planted in the middle of a, of a pandemic. And so before we even dive in and talk about, about uh, your story and even how God led you to the point of becoming the executive director, I think it'd be great just to brag, uh, just to brag on our Lord and Savior for a little bit. And maybe you could tell us a story or two how God's grace, how he sustained you through these difficult challenges of 2020. That's a great question, man. We've been at home for 10 months now, essentially. So I live in Southern California, and there has been no school. There's been no college. So I have two college kids, senior and sophomore in college, who have both were gone and are both both now back at home. I have two high school kids, one graduating this year and one who's a sophomore, who have been doing school from home now for 10 months. So I would say uh, our home is like a small group at this point. So we have essentially <laughs> six, uh, I mean, five adults and one almost adult living together in the same house, all using the same Wi-Fi, oh, boy. working, um, you know, going to school online, but also honestly worshiping together. And, and we're doing a Bible reading plan together right now. Some oh, of nice. us cooking meals together. Like literally tonight, my kids are making homemade bagel bites with homemade bagels. They're like, we're going to try to make our own bagel bites. So I would say it's been just God's grace has sustained us this year in that we've had an amazing time with family in the middle of these challenging times and really more spiritual conversations with our kids, conversations around like, you know, several of us read the John Piper book, Coronavirus and Christ, you know, yeah. conversations around that. So I, if I had to say there's a, a key blessing that's come out of this, it's been the fact that in the midst of this challenging time, you know, kids not having graduation, being at home, and obviously, you know, we've, we still have jobs and we have enough food to eat and we're all healthy. And so many people don't have what we have. Um, and, and we want to be thankful and not take that for granted, but just thankful what God's done in our family and in our lives as we've all been huddled down together essentially for 10 months. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. You know, I wonder, you know, every family is going to have their own rhythms and things developing. So did you guys develop any, any board game habits or video game nights or, or anything like that throughout all this? You know, in the very beginning, there's been, there's been movement along the way because in the very beginning, when everything was brand new, we were spending more time together than I would say we probably are now because it was this weird, like everybody was gone and now everybody's back home again. And they didn't all want to be at home. You know, two college kids who were yeah. gone, living in dorms, who really wanted to be away. So in the beginning, we did some of that stuff. I would say we've realized at this point that the key thing for us to do is to have a meal together every night and a conversation, and then to be a part of an online worship service on Sunday. Uh, which is all, you know, that's all we've been able to do in our context for a long time. And so, you know, 
I, I think another thing we've realized is our kids need time away from us. So we're <laughs> we're leaving and letting them do some of that stuff together at this point. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, we, we've kept up our habits of uh, video game nights. So we, we got the Nintendo Switch, and we're having the Mario Kart tournaments, and I'm still undefeated. Glory to God uh, for man, that. I'm coming to your house? That sounds awesome. That sounds <laughs> like so much fun. Let's do it. Well, well Brian, you know, I, I love how, how God has been leading X-29 and the different leaders and different seasons and all the things that God's done for our family of churches. And I think it'd just be great for, for our pastors and, and pastors and staff and next one on churches to hear kind of your story about how you came to faith and, and your family. And even as you look back on how God prepared you uh, to become the executive director of A29. Well, I grew up in a Christian home, had an amazing mom and dad. You know, my parents have been married for 52 years now. Wow. My dad was a pastor. I grew up in a ministry home. My mom was a public school principal, middle school principal. So she was in the education world my whole life. But 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 grew up in a in an ex, in a in a home where my mom and dad were great examples of faith and Christianity, and so God drew me really um, you know over the course of years. I made a profession of faith when I was a young kid. You know, was baptized when I was young, and I feel like that was tested a bit during my teenage years. Although I would have said all those even even during those years that I was a Christian, you know. But then God really grabbed a hold of me once and for all. Uh, during my military, when I was eight, I guess about eighteen years old, uh, I joined the joined the Navy, and um, at that point, just felt like, hey, I haven't really been living my life as if Christ is is the Lord of my life, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't completely sure at that point if I was really even a Christian. And so I remember sitting on Sundays in boot camp, basic training for the Navy, reading my Bible, and basically saying, God, I don't know if I'm a Christian. I'm pretty sure I'm a Christian, you know. Uh, years later, I remember talking to a friend and, and good friend of mine, Greg Gallison, who's a professor at Southern Seminary and elder at Sojourn Church, about this, uh, you know, even questioning, was I really a Christian back then when I was a little kid? And over right. the years, I've, I've become convinced I probably was, and that having the, de- the date written maybe in my Bible wasn't quite as important as knowing, like, I've, you know, knowing I remember coming to Christ, being baptized. And I remember not having a bit of a crisis of faith as a young adult and going, okay, am I really a Christian? Yes, I'm serving the Lord with my life. I understand the person and work of Christ, the finished work of Christ on the cross, uh, the substitutionary atonement, right, for, for of yeah. Christ on my behalf. And so all that to say, um, you know, ever since that point, I'm, I'm 50 years old now as we record this. Ever since that point, I have, um, I've, pursued relationship with Christ, lived in light of the gospel that I received. So that's, you know, that's what I would say in terms of how God drew me. And then, man, you know, over the course of years, just so many people have invested in me, uh, really starting with my dad. Just just two weeks ago, I went and visited my parents because my dad had a surgery that didn't go very well, and so they needed me to come help them for a few days. And so I drove the road trek a few hours away and spent a few days with them. And as my parents are a little older now, I look back and, and think, man, I've had a lot of great mentors through my life, starting with my dad and then progressing over, you know, 32 years of faith now. Wow. I love that. You know, so many of us, uh, I'm reminded of all the people who have played such a huge role in my life. And you think about at the end of Romans and other epistles where Paul just lays out all these different people that have served on his ministry teams and have been even at one point where he says, you know, greet this one brother and his mother who's been a mother to me also. Mm. And 
it's just so amazing to look back and think about all the different pastors and leaders and deacons and moms and grandmothers who have God has used to shape us. And as I think about my story, I, I can think of so many men, um, particularly Acts 29 pastors like Bryant Lee, um, a, a brother here in Houston, who's just been so influential in my life and shaping me. Well, you know, with, with that, with Acts 29, um, it's an exciting time for, for our church planning network. Um, even in the midst of a global pandemic, um, fires in Southern California, um, I mean, all, all kinds of things happening in our world, but that's not slowing down the work of church planting to a screeching halt. It's, it's not slowing down the work of the spirit in this, in, in our world. And X 29, we're rolling out several new initiatives that I'm so excited about. I remember when you gave that, that zoom call where you laid these things out. I mean, I, I was pumping my fists in the air for the, the things that, that are coming down for us. So, so out of all these different initiatives, um, which one excites you the, the most? You know, I, it's probably, probably I need to choose one domestic in the United States where I live and then one global, I think what I would say. So a couple of things, in fact, I, I, even over the course of the last month, I wrote an annual plan. Our, our board asked me to write a plan for where x was headed, to submit that to them. It was really clarifying to see where we're headed. So I'll give you two here. The first one is I'm really excited about uniting the United States into one network and then creating real value for every church and pastor in the United States. So we've had five networks in the United States, and I'm super thankful for the work of leaders all across the country and the work that they've done. Uh, but we, you know, we came together about a year ago, right before COVID began, our, our leaders across the United States, and made the decision together to unite into one network and to roll out common, uh, essentially consistent um, value across all of Acts 29. So this year we we have set a goal to have 90% of our pastors and our church planters involved in cohorts, actively involved in areas. And really, we want 100% to be involved, but we want to be realistic and know that things are seasonal and we want to give ourselves some space. But but just the work that we're seeing in the U.S. with creating real value, right? A network exists for a local church, not the local church for the network. And so we want to make sure that Acts 29 as an organization, as a partnership of churches is creating real value for every church and for every pastor. And I think they're going to see that clearly. We'll all see that clearly as we roll forward. And then on the global side, I would say I'm really excited about continuing to expand globally. So we just, we are investing more dollars in global partnerships, I think, than we ever have this year. I, I mean, we've raised a ton of money for global partnerships. We we're able to raise the work that we're doing globally. One of the key things we're working on this year is we're working on building a process to create uh, so that every church in the United States has a partner church every with, with it outside of the United States, so that every church outside of the United States has a partner church in the United States. And the reason is, is right now we've got about 500 churches in the U.S. and 200 to 250 outside of the U.S. That number changes daily because new churches are joining us every day. But when you look at what's happening outside of the U.S., we expect that number, the outside of U.S. number, to surpass the U.S. churches within wow. probably three years. I think we have 120 applicants in Brazil right now. It's amazing. And so all that to say, I'm excited about uniting the U.S. into one network, creating value, and then 
continuing to expand globally, and Lord willing to make sure that every church is in partnership globally so that we're not just hunkered down where we are, but aware of the kind of global church planting movement that we're wanting to be and to create even more of. Yeah, man, I I love that. Uh, that gets me so excited. I, I remember being uh, in the Middle East with one of the 829 churches, connecting with them, and I just assumed they were well-connected and even well-funded, um, and they weren't. And I was I was shocked. I was like, oh, man, well, we'll step in. We'll help. Um, so we get to text regularly. And even just yesterday, talking uh, on Instagram chat with Marwan and, and, and Beirut, and just I love that. I just love that we're pushing that forward, man. That, that excites me so much. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. And the past, the, the pastoral care, the women's initiative. I mean, there's so much stuff um, that I'm so excited about for our network. And it's, it's just really, really exciting to see how God's moving and, and where you guys, uh, where you and the board are, are leading us. And w- with leadership, we know pastors that are listening, um, deacons that are listening, church planners that are listening, you know, and when it comes to leadership and Brian, you know this so well, because um, you, you help lead so many leaders is that there are super rewarding challenges um, and, and super challenging challenges. It's all challenges of leadership and some are rewarding and some are just straight up challenging and maybe difficult. So as, as you think about leading a two nine, um, what are some of the most rewarding and most, most challenging parts of, of leading our network? And I, I, I like this question because it helps our planters know how we can pray for you, how we can pray for the board, um, and, and how we can support you too. I honestly would say I think what is most rewarding uh, is seeing partnerships develop that help more churches get planted. So if I, you know, I could say on one, I could say on one hand that it's excited, exciting to see new churches started, but I think I'm even more excited to see partnerships built to where more churches get planted. That's really exciting. When I when I hear about the partnerships that 1122 has or or Park Church, you know, Park Church in Denver was has always been really partnered with Philip Moore. I there's so many partnerships that I don't even know about. I, I you know I think just in the United States, our the extra nine churches in Eastern Washington, led by area lead Steve Hart, all got together. I think nine of them and planted a church together and wow. funded a church plant together. So I think what's most rewarding is seeing partnerships and collaboration come together so that more more churches are planted and lives are changed. And then I, you know, what's been, what's most challenging, you know, that's a really, man, I'm just going to choose one and I'm going to choose a current one. What's challenging right now is leading this from home, you know? So what's challenging, I mean, it's the same thing that's challenging for many of us. It's that we're not able to sit in rooms together and have meals together. And, and again, I don't want to complain about this as if I'm somehow uh, having a worse time. Many, many people have lost jobs and lost businesses and even lost loved ones uh, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, you know. Uh, so, but in terms of what's challenging from a vocational perspective, it's just been like, I'm so excited for us to get back to working together. And yet, you know, we can't really do that. You know, we can't do that at this point. Travel's really difficult. We, we planned, we, we have a conference coming up in Dubai, a Middle East conference. And a bunch of us were going to be at there, be at that. Tony Morita, who, who who's the theological training director of Oxford, I was going to was going to, is going to teach at that. And yet, a lot of us can't go because you can't travel to that and come back to uh, several different countries. And so, mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to and man praying for the time when we'll be able to 
do a conference in Spain again and do a conference in Latin America and, and visit our planters and pastors in Guatemala and gather our global leaders. So, man, that's, I think, what's most rewarding is that collaboration. What's most challenging is just where we've been in the last year. Yeah, man, that's so, that's so true. And it, it makes me think of a question um, that's, that's kind of related to this is that you do also have done a great job at creating a, the best work, you know, remote culture that, that we could have. Um, and so obviously a lot of people are having to do this now. And, and as I, as Christy Britton and I sat and talked about the podcast and, and we craft these questions and, and what we'd like to, she put this forward. She said, we should ask Brian about this because she loves the remote work culture that, that x has built out. So how are you doing that? And why do you think that that kind of culture is so important? Yeah, that's a great question. And Christy's on our team. I think one of our, one of our content editors works the blog and podcast and that sort of thing. Um, here's what I would say. We had a head start on remote work, right? Because we were already, it's our, our team already wasn't all situated in one office in one place. Right. We, we had employees in South Africa and Australia and, and, and all over the United States and Latin America and Europe. And so we, I don't want to take too much credit in that we had a head start at working at this before COVID started. Um, I think once I, once I became executive director of Acts 29 back in May and before that for a couple of months, I was, I was serving as the acting executive director during the interim period. I just realized, hey, we can either do this excellently or not. And I'm, I'm really, I mean, I'm about doing things excellently. That's how I've always been in the vocational world. Uh, I really have a high view on the on a theology of vocation. You know, we we learn from guys like Tim Keller and Every Good Endeavor and Tom Nelson and Work Matters and books that are excellent books to help us really understand the value of work. And you know, in terms of an organizational leader, which is what I am, you know, I'm an organizational leader. I I just think it's really really important to do what we do excellently. So here we have a remote work team with. 50 to 60 employees. And so I just started reading books and studying remote work and trying to learn. And And I assigned a team of people. I said, I, will you guys research and create a remote remote work policy and strategy? And then I've done a lot of work with CEOs in the business world. And so what we have done is benefiting other organizations and even in the business world. And I would say we just have had to adapt and basically become excellent at it because we're working a lot on Zoom. And I would say it's the current Acts 29, and it's a lot of the future of Acts 29 as well, because even when we can travel, it's just not realistic to get employees from 20 different countries together once a week. Right. And so we're always going to be a remote work environment. And so just a bit of a peer, peering behind the scenes in terms of the organization of Acts 29, uh, we're a pretty robust global organization that spends a lot of time on zoom and slack and tools like that. Yep. That's, that's just where the, where we are right now and we got to keep doing it and do it well. And so I love that we, you have the options, you know, some churches and organizations, you can either complain and, and kind of drag your feet or embrace it and, and do it the best we can. And so I, I, I love that about our team. That is right. Yeah. And one thing that's so important, I think to, for, for listeners to know and planters to know about your story is you've been a leader for a long time and have been a leader of leaders for, for a long time, um, in the church, outside of the church. Um, and so I know a lot of planters would want to sit with you and they would want to ask Brian, what book should I read on leadership? 
Um, what, so if you were to give one or two, as many as you want, um, what books would you recommend or what's been most helpful to you in your leadership? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to sound like Angela from the office at first, probably when I say the Bible, obviously. No, I, I'm not saying that. I was going to say, because... you don't have to say the Bible, Brian. We all know. <laughs> well, the reason that I'm saying that is because I'm literally reading through the Bible with my wife and daughter right now. And I'm in Leviticus right now because I'm reading chronologically, right? And so okay. this morning I read six chapters of Leviticus. And, I, and, and as soon as I finished reading, I'm having a conversation with my wife about some of the things I'm seeing. And so... Again, you know, at the risk of trying, not trying to sound overly spiritual or emulating Angela from the, the, the U.S. TV show, The Office, <laughs> I'd say the Bible. Now, look, when I go back 25 years, I mean, the first leadership book I ever read that I recollect anyways outside of college that was really shaping to me was John Maxwell's Developing the Leader Within You. And, you know, at the time, I think he was a pastor of a church in San Diego, and I was a youth pastor, and the lead pastor had our whole team read that book. I probably read it a half a dozen times since then. I mean, the five levels of leadership, I spoke on this a year ago at the Acts 29 West Conference. We had eight or 900 folks there, and I, I challenged people to learn how to lead it according to the five levels of leadership. So, And then, you know, I've read lots of books by John Maxwell. Also, The Effective Executive by Peter Drucker, uh, amazing book that every leader should read. You know, I... I'm just, as I think about this, you know, in the last two or three years, reading books like Essentialism and Deep Work. Yeah. So when I, when I read books on leadership, I haven't necessarily found that I need to find books written by Christian authors on Christian leadership because I, you know, I went to Bible college and I went to seminary and I've taught through much of the, the Bible because I, I was a pastor for so many years that I have a really good understanding of biblical leadership. I feel like, man, you can really learn. I know John Maxwell is a pastor and a leader. Peter Drucker also was a Christian. You know, even guys like Patrick Lencioni, who's a, who's a Catholic and consultant. I've learned a lot of stuff from guys like him. So here's my best answer to the young leader that says, what should I read? You should read all kinds of different things. You know, I, I remember hearing years ago, Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller uh, from Redeemer, New York City, say, if you read one, this is not a direct quote because it's off the top of my head, but if you read one person, you'll become a clone. And if you read two people, you'll become schizophrenic. So read around issues. Mm. And so, you know, in the last month, I've read several different books on leadership. Um, and so all that to say, man, just read lots of different things on leadership is what I would say. Yeah, yeah I love that. You know, and it makes me think now that we should probably, uh, Brian, should we be expecting from you a book on leadership lessons from Leviticus. Is this, is this the announcement? <laughs> it's, it's coming. There's lots of things about leprosy and what to do if you're unclean. Uh, it's going to be a bestseller, at least uh, the people in my family that I will make by it. <laughs> so it would anyways, be the yeah. most unique Pro leadership book on the planet. That's right. I've, uh, I, I think that might have a hard time finding a good publisher, but you never know. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Well, as, as we keep kind of in this, this highway of, of leadership, um, who do you think influenced influenced your leadership style the most? Would it be your Would it be your dad or, or other leaders over the years? Or I think I would honestly have to say my dad has taught me more than anybody else um, because he he stayed he stayed married to my mom for for fifty two years. Yeah. He's taught me so much about marriage, about parenting, about leadership. He was a faithful pastor for four decades. Uh, he was the first in a long line of many, you know. So who's influenced my leadership style? I've had 11 different coaches over the years. I've had 
I mean, I go all the way back to college, and I think of guys like uh, Dr. Mark Patlock and Dr. Dave Maddox, who both invested in me uh, during the years I was in college. Then I think about seminary professors like Don Sanukian, who invested in me, and then mentors, mentors along the way like Clark Kenyon and Rich Blass, and and people that have that have you know so many people that have poured into me. And then um, you know, in terms of influencing my leadership style, it's been a combination of being personally mentored and poured into by coaches and mentors, and then reading hundreds of books. Because I would honestly say guys like John Maxwell and Patrick Lencioni have influenced my leadership style greatly, although I I don't personally know John Maxwell. I've met Patrick Lencioni, but neither one of them are friends that I can show up at their house and have dinner. But they've uh, they've both influenced me greatly through interacting with their material. And, and look, I would say, you know, going back to, I'll say one more thing about this that sort of encompasses, I think, the last two questions. When a person says to me, and I'm asked this question all the time, hey, what's the best book you read on leadership? I just think, I don't think like that. Uh, I think every book I read, like I'm literally reading a book on economics right now that's called Donut Economics, is sort of a progressive uh, philosophy of economics, because I read a review of it in the New York Times or something like that, seemed interesting, and I'm learning things about leadership from reading a book by an economist who worked for the United Nations. And I don't know if I'll end up agreeing with the book or not. That's not the purpose. The purpose is for me to grow and learn. And I always find that in pretty much everything, I'm able to be influenced in terms of how to lead more effectively. Yeah, man, that's a great, that's a great approach. I I I love that so much. Um, Yeah, reading widely. That's, that's so wise. Yep. And we are shaped by a a myriad of of voices. Um, You know, with leadership comes you know, the rewarding stuff that we talked about comes the, the challenges that, that we've talked about. And I think the ongoing learning of leadership that we've been talking about, but there also comes that time of renewal, um, and, and of rest for, for leadership too. And I, I always have a burden for pastors and planters, especially in Acts 29, that we would learn to Sabbath well and, and to rest well and to charge up for, for the long haul. And so for you, Brian, personally, how have you unplugged from the stresses of ministry leadership over the years? Well, Pre-COVID, it was very different than today. So pre-COVID, if you'd said, hey, what do you do to unwind or rest or unplug? I would have said, my wife and I travel. We love to travel. You know, we've traveled all over the world. And the role that I'm in has allowed us to travel. So if if we're at a conference in a particular location, we will try to sometimes build something around that. Taking lots of amazing family vacations, uh, mainly not super expensive ones, but just travel and experience. You know, my wife and I love live music. We've seen lots of live bands. Uh, We, three or four years ago, decided let's, let's not buy stuff. Let's, let's invest a bit more in experiences. And so Uh. we've done that with our kids. And, you know, so we love good meals and eating out and good coffee. And and I love NBA basketball, as I know you do as well. So I try to go to as many NBA basketball games as I can. We love to do stuff out outside. I live in Southern California, so you know, even yesterday, my wife and I uh, were able to take a long walk in a local wilderness park. You know, so we're wow. we we mountain bike, all that sort of stuff. And then if, during COVID, yeah, <laughs> we've been hunkered down, you know, a lot. So we can still be outside. We live seven miles from the beach, so we can still go to the beach, that sort of thing. But we've done a lot of cooking and stuff as a family, and grilling of meats and baking of breads and trying to make homemade crazy stuff and, yeah. and pizzas and just, you know, stuff that's just like doing something creative. 
during this time because, man, you have got to unplug for sure. So that's that's how it's been for us. I love it. Yeah, I remember one time we were talking on the phone and you had AirPods on and you were making, I think, homemade french fries. You were either chopping potatoes or you were soaking them. or so, There was a lot of hacking in the background. I, I think you were, <laughs> you, you, were, you were cutting stuff. That is um, very true. We probably were. Okay, so when you think about the the live bands you've seen, what what was one of your favorite concerts you've seen? Oh man, I mean, you know, I've seen U two probably ten times. So wow. I saw them first off um, thirty years ago. So I, I've been following U two for many many years. You know, I sat in the seventh row at the Joshua Tree tour, the very first one, and then I was at Rattle and Hum both nights in Phoenix when they filmed that. So I was there both nights. I went backstage both nights. So I've gotten to meet the band. You know. So over the years, seeing all the U2 concerts, the last one I saw, uh, Beck played with them. And my friend mm. and fellow actor and I, Pastor Jim Applegate from Modesto, California, was there. So we saw Beck and U2. You know, I've seen Coldplay a number of times. Just kind of a fun, big 80,000 people in the stadium. Uh, uh, John Mayer recently for four hours, watching him shred on the guitar for four hours. Man. I mean, I have so, so many concerts. My wife and I went to Michael Buble for our anniversary because it feels like that's what you should do on your anniversary <laughs> is go see Michael Buble. So hey. anyways, love live music. And so, I, man, I love almost any live music. Like we'll, we'll go see our, we have our two of our kids playing an orchestra. So we went and saw the world's top violinist last year with two of our wow. kids. Oh, it's and beautiful. And it's, uh, you know, you, man, it's, it's a, any live music we, we like. So Yeah. I would love to see the world-renowned uh, cellist, Yo-Yo Ma. Oh, I, yeah. Man. I, I listen to him play uh, Bach, and I, I just, I love it, man. I, I would love to see him. It'd be incredible. My son plays the cello, and he plays on big stages in front of a lot of people oftentimes. And uh, but we've never seen Yo-Yo Ma. Um, my daughter plays the violin, who's also very good. And so I didn't play a s- string instrument growing up, except a little bit of guitar. You know, just enough to be a youth pastor. That's right. To know yep. your nine chords or whatever, you know. But <laughs> watching my kids, I-, I love music, love live music. Miss us all being able to worship together in big crowds. Obviously, you know. So, so uh, that's 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 a great way to unwind for us, man. Yeah. As, as you were talking about the traveling, my wife is like that too. And we want to go to Italy and, and Rome and spend some time. That's, that's where maybe for our 20th wedding anniversary, that's where we want to go. We want to go check out Italy. Hey, you can go to Rome and do a podcast from Italy. Cause we've got Acts 29 churches. That's booming perfect. In Italy. That's right. So that's right. So, so eight, two, nine guys in uh, Italy, I'm waiting for an invite. Um, Impacto Italia. Let's, <laughs> let's, Definitely. let's go. Let's get it done. Well, Brian, as we think about um, leadership, we, we've been in this great space of thinking about leadership and growing and unwinding and, and plowing forward, even, even as a church planning network. Um, but a critical piece to our leadership, I think, in our churches um, and our network is going to be talking about uh, the place of women in, in ministry. Um, you know, so, sometimes I think, and I, I lament the fact that, that it is such a controversial thing um, to talk about the role of women in ministry when clearly Jesus values women and values their place and values their gifts and values their service. Same with the apostle Paul, same with Peter. And I think that's true of Acts 29 too. Um, the Acts 29 churches I know and the 829 churches that I'm a part of, um, we know women play such a huge, valuable, critical, critical role in our ministries. And so um, and I've even just heard from people on staff at 829 that they, they really wanted to encourage you 
and say, we just feel so valued by Brian and feel valued by 829 leadership. Um, so how can pastors and planners help women in their churches thrive in ministry? How do you think churches like X29 churches, maybe that we could take a step forward and, and do better in this area? Man, excellent. Here's what I would say. I, I really, it, it seems to me, not it seems, I feel convinced that women are probably the most underutilized resource in a local church. Not that we're utilizing people. I don't mean it like that. I'm saying women have tremendous gifting that we need to launch into ministry roles. And, and uh, you know, I, I think we're not patriarchalists. We're certainly not, you know, we're, we're complementarians. And so I think I am amazed as I work with churches, and I've done lots and lots of consulting and coaching work with local churches over 20 years. I've worked with, I don't know, the high numbers of churches and, and pastors and planters over the years. And so often when I go in and I do a consult at a local church, I find that there's two or three women on the staff team who essentially are in roles that are far beneath what they could they could bring uh, because of their gifting. They just, yeah. it hasn't even been spotted. And I'll walk in and say, do you understand how amazingly gifted this this lady is and what she could do in the context of ministry in your church? You know, in the Acts 29 world, I mean, we have tremendously gifted women on our staff team uh, that are, that are in many times, the most gifted people on our team, period. You know, and so I'm amazed at how gifted Ann Hastings is and Rachel Wolverton and Rebecca yeah. Paws and and Christy Britton and Kirsten Black and, and Shandra Howard. I mean, so many people that are on our team that serve in, in roles that just get amazing, move us forward in amazing ways. I mean, Ann Hastings, our fundraising and development director, you know, essentially raising $2 million for Acts 29 last year. And, and Rachel Wolverton, who has a master's degree in marketing and communication, guiding our whole communication yeah. department. So I would just say, man, if it were men doing all the work here and running the show, we would be in big trouble. <laughs> so Absolutely. We, we need all the help we can get. And, and, I, and, and we need to not ignore God's creation here, right? In terms of this, in terms of launching women into ministry for sure. Amen. Yeah. I, I echo all of that getting, being able to work, uh, some with Rachel Wolverton, um, you know, and, and some with Christy as well, Christy Britton. And anytime there's a suggestion that Rachel or Christy makes, I always think that's brilliant. Um, you are so gifted and so smart. Like I just, I just trust their input and their advice. And I'm so thankful that we get to collaborate together, even on the podcast like this. Um, so I'm really thankful for them. Definitely. Well, Brian, we know, we know that 2020 is gone. 2020 is out the window. Um, here we are in 2021 and it, it's, it's been a, it's been a difficult year already and in 2021. And I think there was some kind of false hope that everyone was kind of leaning on that the, the calendar is going to change and we're going to glide into an easier year, but we're gliding into the unknown. Um, and the risen Christ is at the helm. We're going to walk with him, but, what counsel would you give to pastors and planters as, as they walk into the unknown of, of 2021? You know, I think I've got two things here, Jeff. Um, the first would be God is on his throne. And we have to continue, continue to remind ourselves that um, in the midst of difficult circumstances, I mean, there's, there really is no humanity without difficult circumstances. This is just our current difficult circumstance. Right. And it's, it's very difficult for some. It's, it's perhaps less difficult for others. But God is on his throne. Uh, This hasn't taken God by storm. And so we were not prepared for what began to happen in early 2020. 
uh, in January and February as as the COVID virus began to spread. And, and we, you know, we weren't prepared for the crazy events of 2020. I, I, none of us could have predicted that, at least n- nobody that I know was predicting it. But God is on his throne. That's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is something that Jen Wilkin, speaking of strong female leadership, something that Jen Wilkin taught at the Acts 29 conference back in November of 2020, I believe, is she talked to church leaders and said, we've got to reinvent rather than remember. I've been doing a lot of coaching of of churches and pastors was throughout 2020, and I was using the word innovate rather than fight. We've got to Mm. innovate rather than fight to get back to what we know. And then Jen Wilkin put that probably better, and I didn't talk to her about it prior, so we didn't. We were essentially saying the same thing. She says, reinvent rather than remember. So as you look at 2021, God is on his throne. Uh, we have to continue to be the church. That's what God's called us to do. We continue to, to live out the Great Commission. We continue to one another. We continue to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Uh, but how are we going to do this in a context that's really, really different? And I would say reinvent, don't just remember. Reinvent what we're doing according to what, don't reinvent what the Bible tells us to do. Like, the Bible gives us clear principles. Preach the word in season and out of season. You know, the Bible tells us to live in community with each other. The Bible tells us to make disciples. So how will we carry out those biblical mandates, both that are prescriptive and descriptive, right? But do those in a way that fits our context today. And so I would say we've got to think and use our minds and innovate uh, and reinvent rather than just going back to exactly what we did before and fighting. because. Right now, as we record this, Jeff, in early 2021, uh, and I don't know when you're listening to this, listeners, but we're still in the throes of this global pandemic, and we don't really know when life will feel more normal again. In the meantime, we continue to li- to remember that God is on his throne, and we continue to carry out what the Scripture tells us to do, reinventing, not just remembering. Yes, absolutely. And that's, that's one of our values, you know, gospel centrality, theological clarity, uh, cultural engagement and missional innovation. And so let's, let's get with it. Let's innovate. Let's, let's reinvent and let's get creative for for how we can carry out our mission of of making disciples and and planting churches all all around the world. Definitely. Well, Brian, as, as we wrap up the show, I, I like to end, as you know, with these final, final three questions. And, you know, we don't call them a speed round, so you don't feel like you got to zoom through them. If you want to linger a bit, you're, you're free to linger, of course. Uh, number one, a book you've read recently that you'd recommend. So I know you mentioned the economics book, but you maybe got something else. Yeah, you know, I read a book last year called Managing Transitions, recommended to me by Brian Lowe, who's, who's our regional executive director in the Southeast United States. Excellent book, Managing Transitions. Uh, which was just one of the best leadership books I've ever read. And we're in the middle of transitions. And so if you're a pastoral leader, a church planter, a church leader of any kind, even a business leader listening to this or a nonprofit leader who has interest in Acts 29, man, I just found that it was an amazing book on leadership transitions, how to manage change and transitions. I'm going to say one more, which is the long distance leader, which if you're leading anything remotely right now, and a a lot of us are leading local churches and pastoring, but I just found that that was really, really helpful. So that's my current book recommend. Perfect. And and listeners, just to remind you, you can scroll up there in your podcast app and you'll find a link 
to all of the, the books and resources that, that Brian and I have mentioned. And all you got to do is just you click right on that and it'll take you to Amazon and you can purchase it right there. So just remember to scroll up there in your show notes and you can find links to these books. Okay. Second question, your, your go-to order in a coffee shop. What are you getting? Well, I love, I love coffee. Like I think I do you too. do, Jeff. So, and uh, so probably normally my go-to order is just going to be a good pour over of black coffee. So, you know, I, I, there's, I like all good coffee. So, um, you know, at home we use a Chemex, we, we order high quality beans, you know, we have a nice burr grinder. And so yeah. it's going to be a really nice, maybe a blue bottle or something like that. There you go. You know, a nice pour over. So that's probably yeah. my, uh, that's my coffee. Same. I, I know I've never shared my, my order, so that I'll, I'll share my. You need now. to bring that now. I've been waiting for six podcasts I, or something. So. <laughs> I love just a classic V60 pour over, single origin, Ethiopian. That's what I do every, every day here at my house. Or if I'm in a really nice shop and if they don't do pour over or they don't have a bean that they're serving that I like, I'll just get a Cortado. And I think it's the perfect amount of milk and espresso. I think it's amazing. So, so there you go, you know, and I would say, so if you're at just a couple of shout outs here, some of the best coffee I've ever had, Quill's Coffee in Louisville. Yes. That's the first time I ever had a Cortado, Nathan Quillo's Coffee Shop, and that V60 pour over uh, at Portola Coffee in Orange County, where I live. Love that. Boom. I'll have to hit, I'll have to hit up Portola if I'm ever in, a, in, in California. Okay. Last, last question and favorite question, I think for myself and, and for listeners, I think everyone appreciates this. Tell us about your favorite verse. Man, you know, here's the thing. John 16, 33 is a verse that I feel like has been so hopeful to me, brought me so much hope throughout life. And particularly during this last year, that's been really difficult, obviously for so many people. John 16, 33, where Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Think about that. I mean, John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. That is so true for all of us. You just, you could, you could sit down and make a list of all kinds of trouble we have in life. We have health issues. We have family dynamic relationships. We have, we have, uh, physical pain. We have emotional pain. We have anxiety over this last year. We've had so many troubles in our in the United States and really even globally around COVID. But just knowing the second part of that verse is so amazingly comforting. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I've taught that verse to my kids. I've meditated on it um, hundreds of times myself. I've preached on it. I've spoken on it. Love that verse. And I feel like it's sort of a summary of the of the Christian experience in some ways to say, man, we know that we're not promised perfection here. But all that Jesus offers is what we have now and what we have to look forward to as well. So I would say, man, John 16.33, memorize it, think about it, meditate on it. My favorite verse. Mm. I love that, brother. It's so good. It's such a great message for us to hear uh, today in this season and and whatever comes. Take heart. Christ has overcome the world. I love that, man. I love it. Well, Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's great to hear from you. 
It's been great to be on here, Jeff. Thanks for the great work you're doing on the Action On podcast. And uh, hopefully this has been a blessing to all of you who've listened to it. Oh, thank you, brother. And listeners, please, if you can, leave a review there in your podcast app. Just click those five stars and it'll help spread the word about the show. But also, we'd love for you to tell your pastors, tell your church members, tell your deacons, tell your friends, share it on social media. And that way we can keep um, training and equipping others and encouraging others about the great work of church planting and what God is doing uh, in our church planting network. And so, brothers and sisters, let's keep planting churches to the ends of the earth.